Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Welcome to 2019, the future. Oh, better park your hoverboard someplace where nobody will steal it. And this is the holographic podcast. It's our hodcast show. Our hodcast show. I still have red hair as a hologram, though. I have hair that I can change when I press freckles (laughs) on my arm. (laughs) Um, My hologram voice sounds like a ghost yeah why are we like ghosts of christmas pasting all this (laughs) why is that happening oh we just can't get over christmas that's why it was just that great christmas it was that great christmas episode we did it's really sticking yeah i feel like my soul's been uncluttered after (laughs) after our little story through the matchstick girl from last from the christmas show uh, hi, everybody. This is our podcast. Welcome to 2019. Happy Welcome. New Year. Happy New Year. I love New Year. I love. I do love resolutions. I love people thinking about mm-hmm. their lives and reflecting on them and then and then gathering those thoughts into something that inspires action. Do you like people doing that or do you like to do that? Well, I like both. I, you know I do it to my friends. <laughs> I know, yeah. And, and one's definitely easier myself. than the other. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I talk to a therapist so I can reflect on things and then make sure that the way I behave in life feels true to the way I think in life. Uh-huh. Because, you know, it's very confusing. Sure. I get it. <laughs> you well, listen, the only, thoughts on this? At this point, the only resolution I have is to figure out why Skype can be such a nightmare yes. computer program yes. sometimes. I, mm, and when right. you've got someone that you have to try to do an interview with and they give you their Skype name and then you go to Skype and then you search that Skype name and somehow it still doesn't work. Hashtag. What's wrong with you, Skype? Skype rants. A little frustrated by Skype right now, but th- do you know what? If you had a Facebook account, you could get on there and post that not if worth you it. wanted to. Not worth it. You could get on there and you could say all that. I stuff. can tweet about it, and it just disappears into the garbage I of the internet. Well, that's now you're not encouraging me at all. I, I can tweet about it. I'll probably do some sort of like. Do you know what your resolution of- should be? Is to like Ugh. take that anger. And go to a boxing gym and pe- take my Skype anger. <laughs> I almost said pound it out. And pound it out. Don't say that. It's 2019. How dare you? Uh, but okay. I, I feel important to say that uh, the 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 frustration in terms of getting a guest on and Skype being yes. a pain has nothing to do with the person we have on now. Yeah, As a matter of fact, this is the easiest one that we've had all night. She's saving our bacon. That's right. Our guest this week is Maria Judis, who wrote a script called Pushing Past Future. It is a 15-page, generationally epic, mixed family short that deals with gaps in ages and temperament. Yes. Uh, a lot of really cool voiceover uh, set in California. Uh, some very, very interesting character work, I feel like, can be done I with this. I completely agree. And yeah. I think that there's a new, there's kind of a new intro to a character here that we, we uh, as we will talk about, Shortly, listeners, we our main character Myrna mm-hmm. is a, um, a gosh. There's some word I'm trying to think of that has to do with like the epicness of working a farm for generations. Okay, and that's probably there's maybe not a word, but that feeling. Um, you know, we haven't had a character that is a mm. a, a black woman who's done this and yeah. is coming to us in this story as an older woman with all of this perspective. Yes. And the writing, like that writing, she shows up with that perspective in her bags. You know, it's like all there, ready yes. to rock literally with her bags. Yeah. Uh, so thank you to Maria for sending that in. We're going to be talking with Maria in just a minute. But in the meantime, uh, if we are talking to you and you are a writer and you've thought to yourself, well, it's 2019, <laughs> I've made a resolution that I would like to send in my work and I, I really just want to maybe put myself out there a little bit more. And uh, you can do that by sending us your scripts. If you go to scriptshopshow.com slash submit, make that noise for sure. And also filmfreeway.com. You can look up Script Shop and uh, send us your stuff. And uh, if you include the phrase that pays, if you send us some oh, sort yeah. of message, if you send us a message on Facebook or tweet at us or whatever, and you use the phrase hot burrito. Hot, hashtag hot burrito. Or just send us some burritos That's the in other the option. Mail, or take them to the bars that we're drinking at. That's the most preferred option. It's getting really specific in terms of us but meeting strangers <laughs> for the first time. 
<laughs> that makes oh, me nervous. Well, that's very creepy. But I would still appreciate a burrito at a bar if somebody was like, hey, what's up, hot burrito? Oh, my gosh. And just slid a script across the table with a bur- like a Taco Bell quesarito on top. Okay. Well, anyway, if you do any of those things and <laughs> communicate that to us, whether in through words or for, through physicality, uh, that will let us know that you listen to the show and we will give you a bit more of a preference in terms of when we read your stuff. Well, yeah, because we have – we do – and I'm not saying this to be a braggy bragger about mm-hmm. it, but we do have thousands, we have thousands of scripts. And so we do our best to work through those and read the ones that we have coming in. And we would love to make sure that if you listen to the show that we get a good read on yours as soon as we can. Yeah. So thank you, everybody, for your patience as we work through these. We're really excited about reading your work. If you want to, uh, if you subscribe to us on iTunes, we would love a review. I just read an article apparently about how ridiculously easy it is to elevate your status in specifically the iTunes world. There was a story about some dude was just doing this random podcast where it was like weird noises and like narration. It meant it was... Like, I think he himself called it garbage, and he got this random email saying, hey, if you pay me five bucks, I'll elevate your podcast in iTunes. And the guy was like, well, it's five bucks. Okay, I'll give it a whirl. And, like, dude saw his stuff go up. He had only, he had a total, like, I don't know how long he'd been doing the show. He had 300 listens total, not per episode, Total. total and he was up into like the 50s in terms of the ranking really because of whatever weird like i don't know southeast asian click farm this person was running that or whatever computer program bots that this person mysteriously knew how to manipulate the itunes rankings whatever point is we could use your help yeah well, yeah. well first of all i feel like maybe we should contact that guy absolutely want to pay five <laughs> bucks yes yeah um other than that you know we love doing the show, and I don't care what our ranking is because I love yeah. doing it. And thank you for being here. We do appreciate your reviews, though, because it just lets us know what you want. And that, at yeah. the end of the day, is what we're all about. Well, and tell us what you think, and we want to interact with you, and we want you know we want to be able to get your reaction from these wonderful scripts that people have yeah. sent us that we have posted on scriptshopshow.com, mm-hmm. and then you get to listen to the words of the writer and what the script means to them, and we would love to find out what all that means to you. Do you. To do. And if you want to keep that conversation alive, you can do it via social media as well, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm your bestie, Westy, on Twitter. And I'm Jack. At Script Shop Jack on Twitter. Sweet. So let's have a real conversation with a real writer now. We should do that. Let's uh, get Maria on. Maria's been patiently standing by on set. Maria Judice, hello. Hello. How are you? We're doing very wonderful. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It was a beautiful day in San Francisco today. Mm, San Francisco, California. Are you mm-hmm. are you born and raised San Francisco? I am born and raised San Francisco. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in San Francisco. Yeah, what was your childhood like? Oh wow, um, we're getting right so into I, it. Big question. Yeah, <laughs> not just right into it, but I, I can be a bit um, nostalgic and um, maybe make a lot of shit up about what it was like. <laughs> okay, uh, we're here to for grow. it. Up in San Francisco. Um, so I grew up in the 70s and 80s um, in a very multicultural um, working class environment uh, where, you know, every time you look around, all your friends are multi ethnic, um, multicultural, um, embracing somewhat of like uh, hippie mentality, but it's kind of like a couple generations old. So at this point, we are just you know, in this unconditional love and abundance of beloved community. And that was my life. You know, we, you hung out on the street, you played with all types of kids, you ate tamales and adobo and uh, chow mein. And, you know, that's, those were your friends and those are the parents that you hung out with and everyone took care of everyone. Um, That's probably not as, you know, Pollyanna as it was, because it was also during the eighties of crack academic and um, violence in the streets in San Francisco was um, very much marred with, all that um, kind of time, especially even my world, but we had a community around us to kind of protect, especially the children. Um, so I always felt like I was in a larger community growing up. That's um, a that's a really but, interesting juxtaposition, knowing like being a child and like having you know like you're talking about with the friends and the yeah. sense of community there, but then also like yeah. as you've grown up, then being aware of all the other issues of the time. That's that's a real sort of mashing of things to have in your head. Yeah, you know, I always tell a story, um, which is probably somewhat true, but I do add some color to it. Um, uh, But I remember particularly we grew up in a time when um, there were a lot of drive-bys and I grew up in what's called the Mission District, which is now incredibly gentrified and um, has has very little of this um, multi-ethnic, multi-incomes kind of in the neighborhood. But 
when I grew up, there were tons of drive-bys and all the kids would play in the street and there'd be a drive-by and you just get someone's dad like picking up like three or four kids and running into the house. And so you just be in that house until the end of the day doing whatever that family did until your parents, you know, came home. And there was just kind of like a knocking on doors that went on um, to for parents that were working to come home and like collect their kids from like grandmas or moms that were home or whatever. Mm, wow. And um, I think that was important when it came to survival. I don't know what if it's important, um, I think we probably needed more in terms of trauma, understanding what bullets were and people dying um, in front of us were. But mm -hmm. um, in terms of community, we did have that and we were protected by that. And I probably am here, you know, because of that. Do you think those kinds of things really brought your community together faster? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Not just that, but I think um, I feel like we have a large kind of separatism of um, culture and of um, experiences in San Francisco right now. And when I was growing up, it was basically like, if you were poor, you pay, basically all went to the same school. You basically all hung out in the same park. You played the same sport. I mean, like you pretty much did everything as a working class, um, community. And there was not really a big divide around ethnicity. Just, there was just no time for it. Um, and those neighborhoods were very working class. Um, so Yeah. How much then, so obviously in the story that we're about to get into that you sent us and that you wrote, uh, Pushing Past Future, there's elements, there, there are a little bit of racial elements, and it's more of a generational story, but how much do things like growing up in that sort of multicultural community, how much does that influence the work that you're doing now? Um, it's like everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am constantly um, concerned with, I would say, a California aesthetic and definitely a California black aesthetic thinking of what it is to grow up on the West Coast when you have, you know, 30 miles away um, mountains and, and redwood trees and forest, and then 30 miles in the other direction, beaches and sand, and then the other direction you can have snow and mountains. Um, and this nature and light and also um, community and multicultural and go deep-seated into a, another culture with their food, with their music, with everything like that is my entire world. And that's the world I grew up in. Um, and so I don't really know how not to have that world. And I don't think it's perfect, but I do think it is a, a huge learning experience. Like I think it is a part of how we should be living is to understand the other and what we don't know and the unknown and to become familiar with it and to know about it, right? Like it's a global experience we should be living in, yeah. um, not one that's just about your block. So yeah, it's in pretty much everything I write. And I think I'm much more intentional these days um, about it before I would just be writing about stories that I knew from mm. kind of my own experience. And now I'm much more like, this is the framework that I'm trying to write. And I'm trying to understand like a little black kid who knows how to do frisbee really well right <laughs> and that's not something you necessarily see in film but it's how i grew up we grew up with frisbee and surfing and and hacky sack and we also played football and basketball and danced you know um and i think whatever that black experience is is something that i'm trying to a take away the black from and just make an experience but also mm -hmm. i am trying to give other visuals and images of what the black experience is and one that's you know beaches and sand and sunshine and uh, a soul that just wants to lay in the grass and sleep all day mm -hmm, which is, is very again. much my people yeah, yeah. yeah that sounds amazing <laughs> that sounds wonderful sounds so good <laughs> i, I want to come live with you can i just eat tamales and sleep in the grass that sounds so good <laughs> it's getting so cold here in cincinnati right now and i just yeah, i don't want to do this anymore <laughs> yes it's a little expensive though now to eat a tamale and <laughs> <laughs> Which is the big problem. So we'll just have to make some grass in Cincinnati and I'll move there. Oh, you're sweet. Oh, that was bad. so nice. Yeah. Okay, I was thinking about, you know, it sounds like a, especially here, like maybe a lot of the way that you've been treated as a black person needs needs to be showing up in your work. And I just wanted to hear about, you know, your mm -hmm, experiences mm -hmm. and your perspective on on race, really, and people's racial identities and racial prejudices. Yeah. So, you know, I, um, you know, my also I'd say background is like growing up in California, we come, especially in San Francisco, we just come from a legacy of 
um, social justice, um, radical resistance, and also um, just a generation of black power generation. Um, so my aunts and uncles and all those people were people that were very much in the movement. And we're not talking about civil rights. We're definitely talking about the kind of radical 70s of resistance, um, mm. understanding identity um, and people like the Black Panthers. Um, and I went to San Francisco State, which is kind of one of the first um, undergrads that instituted an ethnic studies program and understood ethnic studies and black studies and black psychology and all these things. So this is like embedded in me also. Yeah. Um, so when I started in film, you know, I went to CalArts for grad school and there was no place for race or politics. Um, and that was very difficult for me because I was I was at the time very young and naive and writing much more like Spike Lee type films to mm -hmm. really push against race and place and and where our, where our spaces and that. And um, as I got older and had to go through my whole grad school experience of one, the one of the only black people in class and mm -hmm. having very little people, very few people to have this dialogue with um, and having to defend my work over and over again that I eventually moved to a place of like, you know, what if I write a black story, but I don't mention anybody in the story is black. Mm -hmm. And my first film that came out did some of that. And it was very hard for people to swallow. Like mm. it was just hard that there, it, I wasn't on the nose about this was a little black girl's experience. It was just a little girl looking for her dad in San Francisco. Mm. Um, and I think that kind of informs me, but it also made me feel a little depressed mm -hmm. in terms of how large this mountain is for us to show marginalized experiences without it being deep-seated in race, because I think that's only the surface. And it's so much more nuanced and so much more complex, and especially in a place where capitalism um, and greed are taking over. Like, we, race is one of many things that we need to be pushing against um, mm -hmm. and fighting against. Is so. is that reaction, the, 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 the reaction that you got to it, is that why you've gone from doing things that were maybe less subtle in terms of race messaging that you're looking to incorporate in your work and being more overt with it? I would say the opposite. I've become even more subtle. <laughs> oh, I th okay. I, mis I misunderstood you then. Yeah, I, I think I... Um, I, I do. I definitely became very depressed about it, but I think it is something that I see as a necessity in how we write and how we talk about our experiences. Um, there's an idea within, like you know, black psychology, which is um, black one is a construct uh, and race is a construct, and it doesn't really exist. And black only exists when it is um, in contrast to whiteness. So if there's no white person in the story, then there's no black person in the story, right? Mm. So then I can write a story about people and humans. Um, and I've really tried to do that. I mean, even in the script I submitted to you guys, mm -hmm. I really don't say that the woman is black. Yeah. I just talk about her experience and mm -hmm. she speaks about her experience and, and says things to hint towards a black experience. But this, and, and I would say the notes that I've gotten back on the script are, I think you need to really clearly define that this is a black experience. And I'm like, but you are, you told me it was a black experience. Right. So why do I have to define you're, it? You're anymore? like, listen, you defined it yourself. So <laughs> yeah, you just told there. me like, obviously you got what you needed and I don't know what, what, what more you need from me to make it black. Yeah. How that's black a weird note. <laughs> that's a really it's, weird reaction. It's a rude, it's a rude reaction. Yeah. Honestly, it's, it's a, it's a very surface level reaction to this beautiful script. Yeah. You know, like um, I huh. thought when I started reading it, I was like, Myrna, cool. I'm a farm girl. And I immediately identified with Myrna being a white farm girl and I'm a white far farm girl. So that right. makes total right. sense to me. And, and it wasn't until I kept reading through her experiences that I thought, oh, you know what? Actually, this person might be different than I am. Yeah. You know, right. but still, but, but again, but just on the idea right there that you can see commonality outside of any right. of that stuff. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I think there's also an idea of kind of, a, for me anyways, that I really push towards is kind of this humanist writing yeah. and universal mm -hmm. kind of sense of writing. So I am as interested in as the person in China to read this and find some connection to this story as the person who's in Cincinnati mm -hmm. and the person who is exactly Myrna having the same experience. All these three people finding pieces 
in their story, right? You're a woman, you got married, your husband died, you had kids, they are no longer with you. Mm -hmm. And you would like to go live with your kids in your end of your years, right? Like, that's it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's, that's, that's a lot of people have that story. And there's even an element, too, of, of learning and understanding that Myrna, as a character, goes through over the course of this script. She's coming She's coming to find this son of hers that she hasn't seen and heard from in a while because she wants to not so much make peace, but just, like, live out the, her remaining years close to family. And she's finding out about the, the the life that he's living in and how different it is from what she's used mm-hmm. to in this, mm-hmm. this, this generational sort of handshake mm-hmm. and pass along. There, there's an element of discovery that Myrna herself goes through in this script. Yeah, and I think where um, what ideas we all have, right? Like every single one of us has ideas on how we have thought we were shaping our future, right? Like what this future was going to look like from uh, for us. And as the future starts to approach every day, like you're in the, these years, you're like, oh, but the present, I I did all these things, so my future can start. Right. But that future has to be allowed to open up. This is like the the holistic mindfulness Buddha yoga side of California, which is like, you have to stay open and present in every moment. And if your goal is to be in the unconditional and abundance of love, I know I sound like super corny, but no, it's, if I'm, that is your I'm, bottom I'm line goal, here. Then, then, you know, like you have to stay open and be present and understand like things have changed. Right. Like that yeah. bottom stuff is still there. You still love your son and everything. It's just not going to be what you expected. Yeah. And if you want to be with your son, you're going to have to accept him as he is and all these people that end up coming with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm and I guess I also find that in my family that my fam- own family doesn't necessarily have that. And me being an artist is very hard for them. So mm. um, that has disconnected us in ways. So I think there's a piece of that there with, where I would like my older people to stay open and connected and 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 see them and take care of them in their older years. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm curious too about what sort of effect, like, because Allison has a, a young daughter. I don't have any kids, mm-hmm. and like the the, mm-hmm. the idea of waiting for your future to arrive and your perspective on where you mm. are in your life, I think gets greatly affected by whether or not you have a child. So I don't know, Maria, if you have any kids or not, but I'd be curious about how that sort of informs your work too. No, um, I don't have kids, but, you know, um, I grew up with teenage parents and um, I moved around a lot as a kid. So for me, family is what you make it. Mm -hmm. But I think in that sense, you still have the same definition of what family is and you have to stay open to these people who can sometimes be broken and disappoint you. Mm -hmm. And you have to come from this, you know, base foundation of unconditional love to allow for them to stay in your lives and come back into your lives when they're ready and not cut people off just because they're not as perfect as you imagine. And the future changes, right? You change who you are. They change who they are. Mm-hmm. Your relationships should change with that. Sure. With um, all the unintended consequences that come with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, so family is very important in like a lot of my writing and this makeshift family, the family that you make, which is also what, her son is doing right he has made his own family um out of this 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 little crew of kids and mom has to accept it because they're not her blood but Mm -hmm. she has to like get to the point where she calls them family too because her son said so do you want to get into the script let's go ahead and read a piece of the script so we can get some of your words out for the show um and then dive just right back into some of these themes because they're just there, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> there's a lot of. <clears throat> I really like how what a what a what a wonderful <laughs> blend of both character work and like messaging really works together in this. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Maria is nice enough to is going to be reading for the role of Myrna. There's a lot of voiceover, especially in the beginning, but really a weave throughout the script. Uh, Myrna's character is doing a lot of voiceover narration as the story is playing out. But uh, Maria was nice enough to agree to read for Myrna, and uh, I will do our uh, stage direction and action headings. So, um, uh, Maria, are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay, awesome. so Jack, whenever you're ready, take it away. Exterior, Berkeley, California, establishing. The streets of Telegraph Avenue bustle with school kids, hippies, cool kids, artists, self-proclaimed identity posters, bright mosaic colors, smells of hookah, marijuana, patchouli, cafe patrons, street performers, and college students. With their West Coast stride, Berkeleyites push past Myrna. In her late 60s, she experiences a big city for the first time. 
She's a clever, simple woman with cracks in her hands and dirt under her nails. Exterior, Berkeley, California, morning. Myrna ping-pongs down Telegraph Avenue, suitcase in tow. I'm a farm girl. I grew up sewing and tilling the good earth. It's in me. It's my calling. My mom and pop both were farm people, and so were theirs. I thought it would live on in my children, but no. They took after their father. That man had to have a brick tied to his leg or he'd float away. Not one of my children got my soul. The love for the land, the animals, the fresh, crisp air. Boyd, my husband, liked store-bought food. Not because he thought it was good or better than my food, but because he liked to be served. I smile thinking about him checking his reflection in a fancy restaurant knife with a stupid cloth napkin tucked under his chin. All that's done now, just memories, even before I sold out to the oil man. Exterior, Berkeley, California, morning. The sun rises quickly. The bus blurs past. The flowers bloom instantly in front of her. People move faster than time, and Myrna remains out of sync. Boyd had a Negro's done come up attitude. After Montgomery had hit him, that we could eat at any restaurant in town. He woke the whole house up shouting, Negro's done come up. We done all come up. That night, he'd make us get all dressed up for some white lady cooking in town. I'd order a salad and mouth across the table. Just because it's why I don't make it good. He'd chuckle and say, maybe not, but them curtains are rather choice. He had an eye for stuff. When he talked about opening his own restaurant, he'd say, you'll do all the cooking, missy. That's what he called me. And, and I'll put the place together, make it shine like a place in the big city. Boy took some pride in having a lady's eye. He liked things to look effortless and simple. I like to make things look hospital clean. He would come back around after me and put the house back in his way. And scene. That scene. There's so much oh in there. Oh, my God. <laughs> Maria, there's so much in there. I just can't even with this script. It is beautiful. There's so much character Thank work you. that you put in there. And just those first few lines, you're establishing all this history. And I, 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 as I, sort of my process when I'm reading people's scripts is like, I'll sort of make notes as it go as I go along. And like, I'll jot down some thoughts. And my one of my first thoughts early on was I was curious about why you were going with so much voiceover in the beginning when you've got this main character who's interacting in the world but by the time i got to the end i i I wrote down i like the voiceover it keeps giving you myrna's perspective even if it's not just a stream of consciousness it keeps the story consistent and even and the theme of time that's in this script the voiceover helps keep a root in the past time yeah i get Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. why did you specifically choose to have voiceover here um so um This script is also a part of um, a larger um, series of shorts that I wrote that happened to all be um, in voiceover. And it wasn't a real decision. It was more of um, a sense of the characters had made the decisions before the story happens. So Werner has made a decision before the story happens, and she's trying to figure out how this decision is going to still make sense, right? Like, so half the stuff that she says, if she said it out loud, would screw everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of it is her interior trying to get to this new decision. Like, that is the circle. It's conflict. Or, you know, yeah, your conflict yeah. or your, your three-act structure is her making this new decision and finally getting to a place by the end of the script that's, within her decision to come and live with her son, but she has to make these amends to what this actually looks like. Um, So that's her conflict. Um, And it has nothing to do. Also, it's the sense of a woman's story, right? A woman's story that's not marred in this experience of her son or this experience of her husband. It's like, I am here right now doing this thing. And this is my experience and my story and what I am in conflict with. And these are sub characters Mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I was very, and all the stories are about women. So I was very conscious of that. Um, And then the larger kind of theme in all three of these stories is that it's about a person who is trapped in another space. So she's trapped in this space and she's, actually kind of trapped herself in this space too, right? Like she's put herself in this space, but she's trapped here because she brought all her stuff. She brought her suitcase. She moved. She sold her property. And she just assumed that her son would have space for her. Well, she's assuming also that he's opening his mail, which if he was responsible, (laughs) he would be. (laughs) Like most sons do, right? Yeah, right. Um, 
Um, and then also that her identity is mistaken, right? Like she's mistaken for the maid instead right. of, and she's not really clearly saying that she's his mother. She's kind of hiding, you know, cause she doesn't actually know what that relationship is. And she knows her son is a bit funny and, and distant. So mm-hmm. she's has trepidation in this space. So that's where the, I wanted to show all the, like a mother's perspective is really why I did the voiceover. Yeah. Um, if that helps. I love it. Yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. It really does. Um, you know, another thing, when I say, oh, my God, I love this script. It's beautiful. I can't even. What I specifically mean is in, in, <laughs> in the – I've got a lot of feels about my words, so most of the time I just let the feels go. Um, you know, those two voiceover paragraphs, these two monologues we have of her, you use so much descriptive – imagery it's it's just total mm-hmm. imagery that i haven't seen show up in a script in a long long time like this it, it's like storytelling mm-hmm. it's stri- you straight up got away somehow with your writing brilliance of pretty much just putting the story right there and it just rolls off the tongue in the most beautiful way and i just love 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 imagining this woman walking down a street because the thing is is as i hear the voiceover I, I'm also thinking about her walking down the street and the colors right. and the diversity and the changes right. and the energy. But then you see her going and she tells you this other story that's in complete contrast to that. And I see them both right. at the same time. Mm-hmm. It works on me. I agree. And seeing her out of sync, there's a good visual element there because, again, you're talking about time and what a central theme uh, it, this is a generational level and this mother coming to be with her son and understand the what his day-to-day is like and these people that he's living with. And, 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 and there's a conflict, too, in that she has so much respect for the past and her son, mm-hmm. she describes, is all about the future. And mm-hmm. doesn't feel like he's even necessarily going to be happy to see her. And this conflict mm-hmm. between dealing with the past and the future and whether or not they should be in conflict with one another is another big theme in the script. For sure. Mm-hmm. You, actually, For sure. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, no, please. I, I would love to hear what you have to say. No, I was going to agree with you guys. Um, <laughs> I would say, I would also probably just point to, um, a, a, this story comes from my grandfather, um, who I call Big Daddy, who died this year. Um, and this is kind of one of the, he never told you anything, but he would kind of have these stories that he would just blurt out at random moments. Like you'd just be eating soup and he's like, by the way, you know, you know my grandfather was German, right? And like, how did I not know that? I'm 30 whatever years old. Why have you not told me this? Um, and he grew up speaking German. Um, and he came to San Francisco, like most black people, during the um, A, Great Migration, and two, after World War II. Um, and they dropped him in Alameda um, on the docks of the bay with a bunch of soldiers. And from that point, he just walked to Berkeley campus. I'm wow. adding a little flares here, but he walked to Berkeley campus and started school there and stayed in California because of that. And this is like, you know, late 40s. And he was at Berkeley and his mom just showed up one day and was like, yeah, I sold everything. So let's get a house. And, you know, within that week, she took her pension from her husband and her selling her property. And my grandfather took his um, military, whatever, I don't know, housing, whatever. And they bought a house. And that's how they started in the four days um, of living in California. So my grandfather is a man of many um, character characteristics and many wonderful charming things and uh, he's got a little bit of street stuff a little bit of hood stuff charming but you know was a lawyer um so he he has like a lot of stuff but i imagine when she showed up to his place in berkeley she she had some things to say and he he pretty much points to the fact that she had some things to say about how (laughs) he's living and what he was doing um so um but you know i i added some of the pieces of my grandfather being in this you know, um, polyamorous relationship where he's married to somebody and in love with a man and all that's not my grandfather's story, but I think that is a story that's more up to date to me. And he was probably just in kind of a community of kids that are, you know, without parents post-war, just trying to make it and just live in, you know, kind of street lives. I think that was probably more his life. 
Well, that was another note that I took because of the, the, this generational element and her wanting to. It's a story about connection and, and reconnecting no matter what. And I, mm-hmm. I made a specific note about how in the script there's no weirdness when Myrna f- learns that Shelton, her son, is gay or poly or whatever. She just mm-hmm. wants to reconnect mm-hmm. with her son. Yeah. And I think there is also a she knew. It's just she, yeah, she didn't did, didn't she? Yeah. Sorry yeah. for that big shh. Yeah. I was like really excited yeah. and jumped on the mic. <laughs> but she, she did know. She says that about him. She yeah. made him leave the town because she was trying to get him in a community right. that would support him better. Right, right. Um, and I think that happens for many parents, right? Like maybe they're not ready for the conversation, especially in this time period. Um, they're not really ready for uh, the conversation. And but at the same time, abundance of love, unconditional love. You love your kids, so you just want safe spaces for them. Yeah. Um, mm. And I think this is the, a better time, right? I think maybe the future allows for a better time for you to have this conversation. And I think the other two people in the script that he has this family with make it easier, right? She's able to see them outside of him and within their own space and develop her own relationship and understanding of them so that she can bring that family back to all of them. And I think it's probably her, even though it's not probably very poignant in the script, but it's probably her that says, no, we, everybody come in together. We're going to make a house. We're going to make a family. We're going to get the house. Everybody just live in it. We take care of the baby. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this is what it is. Mm-hmm. So do you think that by the end of it, has Myrna sort of come around a little bit more to Shelton's thoughts about the future being all we need? Yeah, I think I I think she is definitely hung up on her past and her sitting in her walking chair watching her kids play in the farm. I think that is definitely a, a nostalgia and a vision she can't let go of. But that just now happens to be in Berkeley, California. And instead of it being a farm, it is her front lawn. Yeah. And, you know, these are kids by adoption, not kids by blood. Yeah, and there's so a, she got her vision. It just looks a little different, right? Yeah, and there's a letting go element of that too, right? When you when you do, yeah, when you, you, you totally. it, it can't be the future that you decided because you're mm-hmm. not the only one making decisions anymore, mm-hmm. right? Right, unless you want to be by yourself, right. like you can. <laughs> but the moment you start to ask everyone to join you, then all these humans that are flawed right. and come and they they mark and they push and they pull on what this future looks like, and to some extent, you have to let go to in it um yeah, i, I feel like beautiful. this is like a weird class on how to live life. i love it <laughs> no i mean i love that if, I, first of all i'm drinking the kool-aid over here and i'm having <laughs> jack and i are doing aggressive head nods yeah, to each really other are. in the studio well, because I mean, it, 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 in, on, you know, on some level, it is a, a, a class on how to live life because it's it's a story that you've written that taps into your feelings about humanity and yeah. stuff. That's what this that's what this show is. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And I think I think also um, for me, there's this sense of that I'm always like, kind of talking about with my families and friends and community, which is like, there's a, there's a generation gap. Like I know all you kids were in the revolution and protesting against anti-war and love and peace and all this stuff. And we get the general sense of it. Like we get the textbook version of that whole thing, Mm. but we don't get the smaller stories of what the everyday ordinary person went through when massive, you know, destruction and war was happening or when huge oppression was happening. And now that we live in it today, we almost aren't asking, we're not turning to our older generation to say, like, help us figure out how to get through this emotionally, physically, mentally, intellectually, all these things. We're kind of just doing it on our own, which is silly. (laughs) I'm like, please sit down and tell me little tiny stories about how you guys dealt with so much racism, oppression, death, war, violence, like, I don't know. And I'm almost at a place in my own life dealing with 2018 where I just want to go to sleep and stay under the covers. And that's not a smart thing to do. Right. Um, so I want to fill this gap with tiny stories because I think, I think that's what the industry should be. I say industry, but it's more of a craft of that, that we do in our art that we do. But the art that we do should be filled more with tiny stories instead of these big, blockbusters and these big huge stories about heroes right i don't know all these heroes i just know people in my life that have overcome and in a beautiful way and i just want to tell those tiny stories even if you don't know myrna you know a myrna somewhere in your life i think yeah 
Mm. This is so beautiful. I agree. Um, I, one of the things that I noted is that you have a different, uh, you have a, a mother in this story who says, you know, my children didn't get my soul. My children don't get along. My children are not like me. And that's different. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, I think it's more traditional to have like a mother who has a daughter that looks just like her, who acts just like her, who, you know, and then it goes on from there. But I really loved the perspective of this mother recognizing that her children were substantially different than she was. And I would just love to hear your thoughts on that choice. Yeah, I mean, I think also, you know, what she's also saying is my children did not love the earth and the farm and the nature and the quietness of, of, of the South enough to deal with the oppression and racism mm-hmm. yeah. that the first thing they tried to do was leave. Mm-hmm. And that meant leave me, right? Like I was enough, enough love for them to want to stay. Mm. And it's not explicit, but it is something that I recognize a lot in my community and my culture is that um, there's this gap where we have a lot of people in my family that are in the South that we are disconnected with. And because my grandfather was one person, I was like, hell no, I'm not going back to the South. I'm not going back to Mississippi. I'm not even going to uh, East St. Louis where he grew up um, in his later years. Um, So that was a place for him that he thought California was going to be somewhat of a haven or less of a racist place. Um, I think he would probably say that it's not true. Um, But he thought that and he thought he was leaving what he knew as the most oppressive place, um, that he grew up in. Um, and he never, he never returned. He never really kept connections there. Um, he always made people come to California. (laughs) He never really wanted to to return and there was not enough love there to make him return. Yeah. Well, and there's also, I mean, that's, I mean, the, the, the line about the idea that familiarity breeds contempt and that's what he knew. So even if where he went to wasn't, you know, as perfect of a place as he thought it was, at least it was different, right? Totally. And it, he could build it to be what it, what he wanted it to be. Right. And uh, he could also protect it. And he was an incredibly protective um, father and protective grandfather. Um, and so, yeah. And I also think, I think in terms of you asking about mothers, I think there's also a mother for me that isn't as nuanced and complex that I would like to see her on page or on screen. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. I think, most mothers have contentious relationships with their children. Um, and that doesn't mean they love them less. That doesn't mean that they hang out with them every day, but it does mean there's, there's some conflict here. She wanted to go left. I really wanted her to go right. I'm the mother I should know, but she's a a young woman now and she gets to make her own choices. Mm -hmm. So then I have to deal with what my place is in her life after I've already reared her and she's grown. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship with your mother like? Uh, there's a lot there. Um, I had teenage parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so my parents had me um, in their late teens. Um, and I spent a lot of time as a kid figuring out my own life and and navigating the 80s and 90s of San Francisco um, on my own. So even now, I feel like more of a, a parent to my parents um, than my parents ever felt for me. So even though our relationship is not disconnected, there is a lot of work there to keep it connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a whole um, other different dynamic and, too, as far as generation stuff and time and past yeah, and futures. And, and there's generation stuff, right? Like my mom feels like I had it good. <laughs> she yeah. feels like life was easy, that we didn't deal with racism in the way that she did, that, you know, we didn't have to see uh lynchings on tv or anything and i'm and i'm like okay maybe not that but we still have something insidious and uh and a system of oppression that has still existed Mm -hmm. otherwise you know women in film would be have more women and also more people of color right like there there's so many places where you can see the signs of racism in the Mm -hmm. world that i live in but my mom has and i think there's a generation of her that just grew up under a lot of violence and oppression i think they deal with their trauma in a way that um, the younger generation is trying to do the work not to. And I think I come from a generation that we do therapy <laughs> and their generation doesn't. Yeah. We mm-hmm. want to talk about the trauma and the pain and generational trauma and pain. Um, we do want to live in a beloved community and we know it's going to be work. Mm. 
I'm just, I'm just taking a lot of this in yeah. right now for a second. You know, yeah, I feel weird like talking about it in a little bit of a way because a lot of it is um, uh, me and uh, a world of my own where I write a lot of the same thing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now I'm working on a film that has a lot to do with the same ideas, but very rarely am I in discourse with people that are not within <laughs> my immediate, mm-hmm. you know, collabor- art collaboration mm-hmm. working on it. So, like, I even have a tendency to, like, be really worried that I'm coming off so um, hippie and uh, uh, spiritual or, you know, finding this, no. this everything Pollyanna attitude that everything will work out. And I don't think everything will work out, but I do think there's a lot of work for the thing that you want. And if you choose to be around people you love, and if you choose to have a better world or better community or to see your community have life and art and love and happiness and joy, then it's work. You're going to have to work towards it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I understand your fears with how you might be perceived. But in terms of what you want to say and how I'm experiencing you, you're coming mm-hmm. through loud and clear. Yeah, this is exactly what we want for this show. <laughs> This is we, we want to get into stuff like this, you know, big issues that matter to you, and then yeah. all that. This is exactly you have nothing to feel weird about. You're good. So you say Thank you. Thank you, you. you say you're working on a project right now where these things show up, and I'm interested in knowing, like, what are your production plans for this one, pushing past future? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wrote this probably. Um, it's probably been a writing process of about three years for me, and I think it. Mm-hmm within this last year of 2018, it's finally been at a place like I haven't touched it in months. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel very confident and it comes in a three part series and I haven't finished the last um, story yet, but the first one I finished. So I kind of gave up on it in a way. If that sounds horrible, it's totally horrible. Um, Mostly because I'm also a director. So anything I write, I pretty much make. Um, And this just became to a point in my life where I felt like making something was more important than making it right. Yeah. So getting the production funds, getting the right team, getting people to co-sign on it, um, it just has moved out of my directing world. So the project I'm working on now just ended up being available to make and make without much means or people needing to co-sign on it. I could just basically start it and make it, and it actually even has no script. It just has a very loose story. Um, So these things, which I feel like are a higher production value, even though it is a very simple visual story, um, I'm just beyond, like, just in terms of, like, how much I think we need film and storytelling in our lives today to survive the ramifications of this current world of capitalism and violence and, and fear mongering that's going on. I think we just need it so much that we have to be get beyond the institutions and the production funds and just make it no matter how small it is, just Mm. every story needs to be made and they need to be small stories and, you know, throw the big stories on the shelf until, you know, big money comes. We, we just don't have time for that right now. So it's not like I'm over this story and I'm not overshooting it. Um, I just don't, if someone comes to me and says like, that's a beautiful story and let's make it and here's some money. Great. I'll do it. But I'm not, I'm just not going to chase the, the, the devil around for some dollars right now. Okay. I know that sounds crazy, but it's like the majority of my life as a director and a filmmaker is chasing money and asking people to think what you're making is great enough to throw some money behind you. And that's exhausting in itself. And it yeah. can, it can stop you from wanting to make stuff. Well, and you said that you've sort of put this down for a little bit, and I feel like there's a, some sort of natural ebb and flow as far as a creative process goes of when you're right. maybe into something for a while, and then it, it, it goes away for a little bit, and then maybe you return to it. Maybe after this interview and people hear it, maybe you get some feedback, <laughs> you maybe return to it. No, that would be amazing. You know, I, I do think it's a beautiful story, and um, since my grandfather did die this year, and the story is a lot of, about the seeds of a story that he uh, he and and even the grandmother is my great grandmother who was still alive when I was born, so there is a sense of me that just wants to like um, etch something in stone that says I made something that's dedicated to you guys in my life. Yeah. Um, so I'll pick it up eventually mm-hmm. again and make somebody give me some money. <laughs> well, yeah. If, if somebody did want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Mm-hmm. So I am on pretty much every social media channel at um, Maria. A is in Annette, which is my middle name, Judice, J-U-D-I-C-E, at Maria A. Judice. Um, same thing on all of them. And then my email is m at Maria A. J. 
Um, I'm super easy to find on everything and I'm pretty active within film, um, especially women in film. So I'm sure it's, you can find me doing something somewhere protesting against something. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Mm-hmm. That's super Stand great. Up for what you believe in, do, do. Maria. I can't. I mean, we. Right, we right. I wanted to thank you early on for helping us out by jumping in as far as scheduling goes, and I definitely want to thank you for the work that you sent us and that, the conversation that we just had. Yeah. That's that's incredible. Thank you for your work and th- that you've done here, and I, just good luck. I hope everything keeps plugging along for you. It's it's excellent. It's mm-hmm. excellent. Mm-hmm. Thank you, and I would just also like to say um, thank you guys because this also is very energetic for me. So that exchange is something, and I, I don't even know how much you guys know this, but I think just like this exchange is something I think that keeps writers, and I can say even for myself, it pulled something back into my periphery that has been on a shelf. And it reminded me how much I enjoyed my own work. Oh, so good. thank you for sharing that energy with me. Awesome. Mm. Thank you for sharing. And we're my glad pleasure. to be able to reflect it back. That's great. Maria, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right. There's Maria. Mm. Boy, that was something, huh? It was amazing. That was a lot. There's like, um, you know, I feel it's almost like I could feel myself sitting next to her during this interview. Yeah. Listening. And the whole time, and I did this during the interview, too, just going, Mm, mm. <laughs> just nodding, knowingly nodding mm. and having your eyes closed. It's soaking and, through my yeah. skin into my heart and soul. Yeah. And you know, and you can feel her in this script and mm-hmm. you can, you can feel the tall tale of her grandfather and her, in this grandmother's experience here. And you can feel the ethnically diverse culture and the danger too that she grew up in. And, mm-hmm. and all of that builds itself in this very like, like snowflake, but just in terms of the intricacy of the pattern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sure. like it's all part of it. Everything yeah. has tapestry its place. type stuff. Yes, yeah. tapestry. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so please, uh, if if you're listening to the show and you haven't read the script yet, and you can listen to our shows and read all the scripts that we have posted, please go to scriptshopshow.com. Uh, there's an episodes category. There's a scripts category. There's also a submit category. If you have written written something and you want to send it our way, uh, you can do that by going to scriptshopshow.com/slash/submit or looking us up on Film Freeway Script Shop Show. If you want to get all your mmms, ahs, mmms into this conversation, mm-hmm. go find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. On Twitter, I am your bestie, Westy. I'm uh, a script shop jack. <laughs> and we would love to talk to you about your ideas on these scripts and the things that our writer has to say. It's really neat because you could probably talk to the writer directly mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, for So sure. if you have thoughts about these things, hop online and let's use the internet for good. Yeah. Let's yeah, 2019, that's a wild idea. 2019. Let's use, use the, internet the internet for good. good. Let's a, use the internet for good. We're working on a better slogan. We'll get there, we promise soon. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, welcome to the new year, everybody. Yeah. Until next week. That's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.